Okay, before I get to my next guest, Owen Brown, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield Sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. All right, now back in making his 10th appearance with me here on Next on the T is Owen Brown. Let me remind you about Owen's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf at Occidental College out in L.A. He joined the team as a sophomore and gradually moved his way up to be their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, all-SCIAC, in 1980 and 1982 and was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame in 1997. And, oh, by the way, their golf annual MVP award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and once in 96. He won three times out on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open by chipping in, oh, by the way, from 40 feet to defeat Stewart Sink in a playoff. He also won the 1999 Colonial in the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he was named the PGA Tour's Comeback Player of the Year. He's won twice so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. In all, on the PGA Tour Champions, he has those two wins, plus 48 top 10s and 118 top 25s. And I tell you what, folks, I couldn't be more thrilled that I got to end last season talking to Owen Brown, and I get to end the first show of this season talking to Owen Brown. Hey, oh, how are you, my friend? Chris, it's great to be with you tonight. I I, uh, I called in and got to hear the last few uh, minutes of your conversation with Hal, and but there, I have so much respect for that man. He is uh, he is everything that everybody uh, uh, thinks he is in in the game of golf. He is an awesome dude and great great job. So. You texted me when we were talking and I was talking to Hal and you said, hey, be sure to ask me about Hal Sutton and being the best 
tee to green player I ever played with. Is that right? That is a fact. Um, how how tee to green w- was absolutely extraordinary. He drove it dead straight, and his irons were dead straight. And the be the right club today shot on the last hole. If there was ever a shot for anybody to be right in his wheelhouse on the 72nd hole of a championship of that caliber, it's that dude with a six iron from 80, 184 or whatever it was. Uh, you, you know, it was truly a great shot. But if anybody ever wanted a shot that mattered in that situation, that was the guy to have that particular shot on that day. He was just awesome, Tita Green. Oh, I want to take a step back because I wanted to start off our conversation tonight because, first of all, once upon a time, you were the best internet radio jockey on Twitter because you would start each day posting a great song. And now I see your daughter, Alexandra. What a fantastic singer she is. She recently posted a video, and I listened to, you know, the least that much of the clip. Wow, wow she's got a great voice. Is, uh, is, that, You're uh, awesome. is that the Brown family thing? You guys are great musicians? Oh, I, I can't, I can't play a kazoo, bro. Uh, she's, she's awesome. She's got a bunch of new songs coming out. You can find her on alexanderbrown.com. Um, she's on Spotify. She's on Apple. Um, she's on, uh, a bunch of street, Pandora, iTunes, and, uh, she's having a lot of fun with it. She's really creative. She, she does an occasional cover, but she writes and, and produces her own music and, um, uh, it's a lot of fun, and it fills you with a lot of pride as a dad to see your kids do something that makes them so happy and that they have so much fun doing. And oh, speaking of being behind the microphone, you've done some work as an on-course analyst during the U.S. Open for Fox once upon a time. You did some work for ESPN. Is this a, a future perhaps for you down the road when you decide to quit playing the Champions Tour that we could see you out as an on-course analyst? Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd like to do some of that. I, I, uh, you know, I love the game of golf. I got into golf because I have such a, uh, a respect and admiration for everybody who plays in it. I love the game so much. And, uh, you know, my, my playing career is winding down and, uh, I, you know, I've had some experience doing some TV and, uh, I really enjoy it. I like still being part of the game, even though I don't play as much or as well as I did once. And, uh, you know, going forward to the next, eight or ten years of my life, I could see it becoming more of a of a component of what I do. I know, I know you shot a 63 at the Alliance Championship at the old course at, at Broken Sound. I, I was looking back over your career, and that's a tremendous round. 63 out, out on the, the Champions Tour is, is something we all should aspire to be able to do. Is that the best round you ever had, or did you, did you get it uh, a little lower some other time? Um, you know, I think scores are relative to conditions, right? I mean, uh, so I think I, I shot 59 trying to, uh, qualifying for the U.S. Open in 2005 at, at Woodmont. Um, and I never understood the value of shooting sub 60 until, you know, kind of had legs after the fact. But I, I would say that there have been a number of rounds that I've really felt good about. And I felt they were really great. But I shot a 66 bogey-free at Carnoustie in the senior open and uh, about, I don't know, five years ago. And I always felt that under the conditions with the wind blowing a couple of clubs and, you know, Carnoustie being the nasty course that it can be, that I, I always felt like that particular round of golf 
where I hit so many greens and I, you know, when I didn't hit the shot I wanted to hit, I left myself in a position where I could recover. A bogey free 66 on a course like that really um, is a source of pride for me. I know I was going through the record book now that we're, like I say, uh, on the uh, other side of the players championship, I was going back through a lot of the, the records there and, um, I was looking at the leaderboard. 97, was that the first time you played at the players? Probably was, yes. So, what you do know you what? remember? Before you go any farther, before you yeah. go any farther I absolutely hated that place. I mean, hated Is that it with right? a passion. Oh, my God, I hated it. Yep. It's a train wreck waiting to happen on every hole. And I think we saw that. I think we saw that on uh, on Saturday last weekend, on in particular on the 17th hole, where guys... They couldn't. They couldn't play the hole. You know. You know. Brandel went nuts uh, on TV, and he and Paul McGinley kind of got into it about it. And I, I tend to side with Brandel on, on that particular issue because, you know, he said the the proximity of the hole on Saturday was 40 feet. Well, that's a that's a radius of a diameter, right? The diameter was was a was a uh, uh, 80 feet, which equates to a 5,000 square foot green. The green's only 3,900 square feet. How are you going to play the hole? Uh, uh, it was just, uh, and I felt that way. I felt that way about every hole out there. <laughs> what was it like for you, like the first time you went out there to play it? I mean, was it hated first sight? Pete Dye does a brilliant job, and I'm not being critical of the design uh, of the golf course. Um, but he he did a brilliant job of terrorizing people. Uh, <laughs> Off the tee and on the second shot, uh, just basically, um, as Hal as Hal mentioned, he he builds in features to the golf course that draw your eye and make you worry about outcomes as opposed to execution. And I think that's a, that's a design feature that has a uh, you know uh, an insidious and nefarious brilliance to it. Um, <laughs> there's there's a there's a there's an evilness to it that that I was never able to get past. And I suppose I showed up. I showed up at that week, you know, it was, I was duty bound. It's the players championship. You want to play well, you want to go there, you want to play well there. But I just, I just could never feel comfortable. And I just, it was just torture. (laughs) Did you ever play in conditions like we saw there on Saturday where you had wind whipping it 20 to 40 miles an hour, a wet golf course because it rained the last couple of days. So you're not going to get any roll and. It just seems like that was the, some of the toughest conditions I've ever seen. What are the toughest conditions you've ever played in? Well, uh, you know, th- there may have been uh, conditions that blew in there for nine holes for a group or for a day or whatever. But, I mean, we've all seen those kinds of conditions at uh, Sawgrass, at TPC. And there are plenty of times, look, I think in a lot of ways, as much moisture as the golf course was holding, was something of an advantage because the ball would stop if it landed on the green. Um, can you imagine playing the 17th hole with the wind blowing 43, and, and the, the highest gust I saw was 43 miles an hour. Imagine playing that hole with a 43-mile-an-hour downwind on a green that's that's firm. It's just not happening. You, you, there's no way to hit the green, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that makes it so difficult isn't the wind. It's the it's the fact that the wind blows 18 and gusts to 40, or is blowing 35 and then drops to 
12 miles an hour. And so, you know, you, you make an adjustment or you make a play according to, to, to what's being presented. Then all of a sudden the conditions change while your ball's in mid flight. And I mean, how many times have you seen a guy hit a shot and then look skyward to wondering where the wind's coming from and what's it doing and why it did what it did to his ball? I mean, I think about Paul Goyles when he was in the playoffs with Sergio Garcia. He hit the shot he was look he he was looking to hit, and his ball came up short of the ball head. He looked straight up in the sky and goes, you know, how did the wind change? How am I supposed to know? It's so capricious. It's really a challenge. Yeah, and you know, one of the other courses that uh, I've heard guys out on the regular tour start to complain more and more about is Bay Hill. You know, the idea of the course conditions being U.S. Open like it's the week before Players Championship. Guys are talking about not going back there to play. I know Chris DeMarco way back in the day talked about not wanting to play there because the course got to be unfair at times. What 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 are your thoughts on Bay Hill? Is is that course set up too difficult? And especially being the week before the players now, is it in danger of being a a stop now that Mr. Palmer's not there, where more and more players are going to skip in order to practice for? The players' championship. Well, you, you sure hate to see any course attached to a legend of our game uh, get any kind of bad press. Um, I, in, it's, I think the I played the tour for eighteen years and probably played Bay Hill fifteen or sixteen times. I, I don't ever remember the course being quite as cooked as it was two weeks ago, and I think that's due to the you know the the particular conditions uh, that the players were confronted with. Um, we've had a dry winter. Uh, it was warm. Um, the, the, the color of the green was a color that you don't often see on TV. I mean, they were, they were silver. Uh, and you could tell that, that they, that there was much friction. I mean, I equate it to, you know, when they, when they, when they oil the lanes at the bowling alley, you know, and the ball doesn't take the, <laughs> take the roll and, and you could see it. Guys were really, it, it was on the edge. And, you know, not to mention that it was, it was, it was following the week at Honda where people were getting their teeth kicked in at the bear trap. So, you know, you got back to week chop buster golf courses before you head to the players, which is the biggest tournament of the PGA tour season. Um, and it's a, it's a wicked run. Uh, I know Scotty Shuffler had a good run. I know that, uh, that, uh, Seb Straka was pretty pleased. And by the way, he played well last week. And I don't think it's any accident that guys who play well at Honda or at Bay Hill then also play well at the players because those three golf courses share not necessarily architectural traits, but they share stylistic, uh, characteristics that make, make playing one similar to playing the other two. And so I think that it, they're great preparation uh, leading up to the players. But, boy, I'll tell you what, it's a gauntlet for sure. Oh, I want to get your thoughts on what's going on with this proposed Saudi league and, and uh, your thoughts on the price that Phil Mickelson has paid for trying to leverage the Saudi league or the Saudi tour against the PGA tour. Seems like he's paid, at least in my view, he's paid an awfully steep price for a guy who has broken no laws. Well, uh, gosh, where, where do you begin? Um, the PGA Tour is, you know, our tour. And I think that the, the guys who have come 
before my generation have great pride in the PGA Tour, and uh, there's a lot of gratefulness regarding careers in professional golf. Having said that, you know, golfers are independent contractors. It's like a, a little bit of a high-wire act. There's uh, there's not much of a support system in place. You lose your status, and all of a sudden you're out. I mean, look, if you're, if you're an NFL player and you blow a knee, you've signed a contract, you know, your knee heals, and, and you get paid for that year, and you come back and you get a chance to rehab a golfer. Golfer has an injury and is out for a year and a half. He doesn't get paid. Contracts are suspended in most cases. I mean, there's some guys who probably don't have that problem. I doubt Rory McIlroy has a, any contracts contingent on whether he plays, but, and not to single out Rory, but the point, the point is, is that, that I, I see, I see the point that some players would make that, um, for the, the level of play and their, and their acumen that they feel like they're, they're not, uh, compensated, um, in an equivalent way to some of the other professional sports. Now, having said that, it's a game that we've all picked and uh, we all volunteered for the mission. So um, as it pertains to Phil and the price that he's paying, you know, it's one thing to try and up the ante and and uh, make the world a better place, but when you're maybe perceived as the person who's trying to take food out of the mouths of other players, I mean, I think he made a declarative statement that he's trying to, He's trying to make sure that the, you know he's trying to, he's trying to pit one tour against another. Well, that's not the way anything gets done uh, in this day and age. And you know, I, I'm a little bit uh, taken aback that Phil's star has fallen quite quickly as it has, and he's certainly paying a very steep price. On the other hand, you know, um, if you push the needle as hard as he has in this case. There's going to be a price to be paid for it, and um, and it's just the reality of the way things are. Oh, you make an interesting comparison a moment ago about life out on the tour, and I know you guys are independent contractors, but it, it sort of can be a lonely world, maybe feeling a bit like a commodity for sponsors and things of that nature. You compare it to the NFL, and you know I do a football show where I get to talk to a lot of the NFL legends and what life is like for them. Later on, when whether they've blown out a knee or they've just reached a certain age and they get cut and that phone never rings again. And that's a lot of times how a lot of them end up being retired. They didn't get to have the conference where they get to have the cheery goodbye and all that sort of thing. They just get cut. The phone never rings. And now you're on to the next part of your life. It seems like potentially you guys are in that same boat that at some point, you know, hey, whether it's through injury or through age or whatever, you know, the, the sponsors don't come back or the tour moves on without you. Is it tough looking down that barrel? You know, it's, it's a great question. I'm going to be 63 here in a couple of months, and I've had a run of professional golf since I was 24 years old. Now, that's, that's a pretty good run, and I'm, doing, I'm having a struggle with it, right, because um, I've lost my exempt status, and I would – I would love to continue playing. You know, you know, the way I look at it, Chris, is that, is that people in business, in law and doctors, whatever, whatever their teachers, whatever their chosen profession, they work their, you know, you know, I'm not saying everybody, but people who love golf, right? And there are a lot of us. They work their whole lives so that they can retire. Then they retire and play golf. That's going to be their kind of retirement thing. And, and, for 40 years, I've had the privilege of playing golf and playing on the 
Ben Hogan Tour, which is now the Corn Ferry Tour, and the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour Champion. And 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 I've done it for 40 years, and I've, and I've gotten paid to do that. And that is the biggest gift that anybody could ever expect to receive. And I have such great uh, respect for all of my peers and all of the people who preceded us. Um, you know, you, you had on one of my favorite people in golf, Hal Sutton, before I came on tonight, for whom I have so much respect. He was so good at what he did. And he is such a great asset to the game. And you mentioned the Hall of Fame. Look, the Hall of Fame is going to come calling for Hal. He's got the identical record. And when I say identical, I mean the identical record to Freddie Couples. He's got two players' championships. He's got a major. He's got 14 wins. Um, now, he didn't play the Champions Tour for a long time, but Hal had other things on his mind. And he's doing things to help people further in golf. And uh, he'll get into the Hall of Fame. I have absolutely no doubt. If he doesn't, you're absolutely right. It's a travesty. But there are people like that. I mean, you get to shake Arnold Palmer's hand every year going up to his tournament. Or talk to Jack Nicklaus and ask him for his advice on how to play a certain course or what to do when there's a particular professional issue at hand. Or, you know, talk to Tom Watson about Ryder Cup or be part of the Ryder Cup as an assistant to Paul Azinger or any number of these other things. Shake Byron Nelson's hand coming off the 72nd hole at the Byron Nelson uh, in Dallas. And uh, all of these experiences um are are the hand me down experiences that the game of golf is so good at at uh at uh documenting and preserving and um they're all part of the fabric of the history of the game and one of the things that makes it so great is you can you know you can read books about the game you can you can actually go and talk to these players and interact with them and get the hand me down stories you know, the Jackie Burke of the world and the Byron Nelsons and the Ben Hogan's and the Sam Steeds and all these guys who preceded all of us. And that includes the LPGA Tour, too. You know, the Judy Rankins, gosh, she's a she's a national treasure. She's been part of the TV fabric for the longest time. Joanne Carner and uh, players like that of that ilk. It's an incredible. And one of the things that makes it so extraordinary is, right, you talk about other sports, football players, to get a 10-year career, right, if they've had a good career. Baseball players might get 15. Golf is a 40-year career if you have good fortune and, you know, you manage to keep your game in shape long enough. I mean, there's absolutely nothing to complain about in the game of golf. And as it pertains to other leagues coming in and, and trying to pilfer the players for whatever uh, agenda they have, you know, there's there's going to be a certain resentment towards that kind of thing because, this is a very difficult environment. Uh, as I said, it's a high wire act and players have a lot of respect for everybody. And so, and a lot of respect for the game and the history of the game. So I, I think that's where coming circle to uh, your question about Phil and what's going on. I think that's really where a lot of people are with what's going on with uh, this other league. Look, is it a good thing that there's competition? You bet. Is it a good thing? that it helps move the needle in a certain direction, you bet. Uh, but I think Tiger Woods said it better than anybody else when he said that, you know, his legacy is tied indelibly to the PGA Tour. And when you talk about the greatest players who've ever played the game, 
you know, it's in reference to what their accomplishments might have been on the PGA Tour. Sam Steen's got 82 wins. Jack Nicklaus has 18 major championships. Tiger Woods has 15. I mean, these are the elite of the elite of the elite players. And with the exception of the Bobby Locks, uh, maybe, and, uh, you know, a couple of other guys, Peter Thompson, uh, you know, the PGA Tour has been the historical benchmark for golf in it, and it will probably continue to be for a while longer. Oh, just a couple more before I let you go. Now that uh, the players is over, most of us are looking ahead to Augusta and the Masters. You played in that tournament a few times. What are some of your favorite memories of playing in the Masters? The Masters is uh, is a sensory experience. Um, you walk in uh, off of Washington Road, and, and you, you can't imagine um, this pristine uh, Garden of Eden of golf. And the first thing that I noticed, you know, you get this very uh, understated, clabbered um, clubhouse. Old school, wooden floors, you know, maybe uh, a little pitch to one of the hallways, you know, the floor in the hallway, whatever. I mean, it, it, it's like it, it's been there for a long while. And then you step out the back back porch, walk down the steps, and there's a beautiful oak tree right there. And the, the wisteria vines are climbing the trees by the 10th tee. And it, it, the, the, the sensory overload hits you with the birds singing and the the scent of the wisteria and the the grass that ha- that has not a blade out of place and, and and it's a shock because you come in at ground level and you're all of a sudden looking down at the entire golf course and from the from the top of the clubhouse the back right there you can see all a piece of almost every hole um and and off to the left the far left is is the par 3 course and it's just it's an inexplicable experience as a player to be invited to play the masters and to be able to experience the kind of thing that, I mean, there are a couple of places like that in all of golf. One of them is St. Andrews. It's known as the home of golf. Another one is Augusta national, you know, another very high profile venue is Pebble beach. Um, those kinds of places are unique and, um, very special. And they're the kinds of places that, that we should all be, feeling very thankful and privileged to have been able to experience. Oh, one more before I let you go. And I, I want to get a playing lesson from you. You've played, I'm sure, in tens of thousands of pro-ams. If you could sort of sum up what you've seen us amateurs do when we try to play with you, and you think to yourself, boy, I, you know, here, here's something here's something easy that would fix your game or would save you five strokes around if you would do it. What what's the simple thing that you, you would like to tell us amateurs that that we are woefully not doing correctly? That if we would just make this slight adjustment, we'd probably play a lot better golf and have more fun at it. Yeah, absolutely, an impossible question to answer because there's <laughs> so there's so much going on uh, in a pro But I, I'll say this: I think that nobody likes feeling uncomfortable, and I think by and large, most amateurs feel uh, uncomfortable playing in a pro-am, certainly if it's their first or second time doing it, right? Um, golf is so hard. I'll just give an example. I played one of the greatest football players in the history of the game. Um, and he was out of his element on the golf course, right? He was a great athlete, maybe the best athlete I've ever played golf with. 
but he was uncomfortable on the golf course. And I don't want to name him because I don't want to call him out or anything, but you know, he came, he said, I want to come back and play your tee for a couple. I was like, Oh, sure, man. Come on back. We'll have a good time. He played two holes back with me. He says, I'm moving back up to the up tees because it's such a precision oriented game and it takes a lifetime really to, uh, it's a, it's a never ending cycle of improvement. And you know, when you talk about the greatest athletes who've ever played, the Mike Smiths and the Michael Jordans and people like that, Emmett Smith and people like that, who take up, take up golf and want to get better at it, it catches them by surprise how much they love it. Larry Fitzgerald, there's another one. I mean, these guys are just Steph Curry, the best athletes who walk the planet, and the game challenges them to the nth power. Um, I, I think it's an unreasonable expectation for, you know, the average weekend warrior to come out and expect to hit perfect shots all the time, and yet that's what the game asks of all of us. And, you know, it presents a challenge that, forces us all to reconsider our approach to what we're doing and it keeps bringing us back for more and more. I guess, I guess, you know, uh, we, we all to some extent like the abuse that it dishes out, you know, because <laughs> it brings us, brings us to our knees. And yet there's always the one shot that makes us go, okay, this is really why I'm here. And this is what makes it so great. So, uh, you know, the one thing that I would say to most amateurs, it's just not a tactical point. It's, you know, go out to the golf course and enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy being there. You know, if you can improve one little piece of your game by asking the pro that you're playing with, you know, for a tip or, you know, uh, any, any kind of, uh, any kind of, uh, um, a mandate on how to get things going in the right direction. Great. But the bottom line is, is that nobody's perfect and nobody plays great golf all the time. And it's just a really, really hard game. So go out and enjoy yourself the best that you can. Olin, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether they're following you online or it's on social media? You know, I'm on Twitter, and uh, I've got an Instagram Instagram account, but I don't do much on it except to see what people are doing. And, uh, you know, come out and support the PGA Tour champions, the PGA Tour. It's a great organization, both of them, uh, under the same umbrella. You know, there's so much. There's so much good that goes to individual towns where we all visit. You know, the, between the Corn Ferry, the PGA Tour, PGA Tour Champions, and the other ancillary PGA Tour um, um, tours like PGA Tour Latin America, the Forum Tour, and McKenzie Tour. There's there's so much good that's done in local communities. And when you have the economic, the kind of economic impact. That, you know, the Bay Hills and the Hondas and the Pebble Beaches and the memorials and, and all the events of, you know, the, I don't know how many events there are in professional golf, but, you know, golf is about, is about community and helping communities and, and elevating people and bringing joy and happiness to people's lives. And, you know, it's just, it's a joy to be part of that and it's a privilege and I feel, you know, blessed to have been, uh, running that railroad for the last couple of years. 30 years or so. It's just awesome gig. Well, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always fun getting the privilege to spend time with you. I'm already looking forward to time number 11. I hope you'll come back and do it again soon. Chris, you got me hooked. Love talking to you. As Hal said, what you do for the golf community is just absolutely fabulous. Uh, you know, your tweets are always so positive. Your interviews are positive. You know, you're, you're interested in getting to the nuts and bolts of things and sharing people's experiences and passing along the joy that we all 
share in playing this wonderful game and the experience that we all get to get to uh, be a part of along the way. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for having me on your show. I look forward to it every time. I look forward to it the next time. I appreciate that very much, Owen. Take care, my friend. You're the best. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Look forward to catching up soon. Take care and be well. See you, Owen. That is the great Owen Brown. And, folks, you want to talk about one of the finest people in the game of golf. You just heard him right there, Owen Brown. Wow, what a wonderful gentleman. What a wonderful storyteller. What a wonderful career he has had, uh, you know, starting in college and coming all the way up through uh, he, he, what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, but the Hogan Tour or whatever it was when it was named when, when Owen was coming through and then on the PGA Tour and now on the Champions Tour. Um, there's not a finer person you'll root for out on a golf course than Owen Brown. I can't tell you how much I have watched his game and just rooted so hard for him uh, to play well uh, just because he's just that that great of a person. And like I say, uh, one, one of the things we started off talking about, and please go, go give her a follow, Alexandra Brown. Folks, he's got a post out there on, on his Twitter page, again, at Olin Brown. What a wonderful talent this young lady is. What a great voice. And she's out there writing her own original music. Great stuff. You got to follow her. You got to follow Olin. And like I say, hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with Olin again here really, really soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patry, Billy Mayfair, Hal Sutton, and Owen Brown for joining me tonight. What a great way to kick off Season 9, huh? Scheduled to come and be a part of this show next week, a guy who has been a fantastic friend and a great host of his own podcast, Talking Golf Getaways, Mitch Lawrence, is going to be back with me. It's always fun spending time with Mitch. 1978 PGA champion John Mahaffey. We'll be making his return visit as well. Champions Tour Pro Jim Gallagher Jr. will be making his next on the tee debut, as will Strixon Director of Engineering Dustin Brecky. So looking forward to catching up with Dustin and having him as part of the show. So it's going to be a great one. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can find this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting site and app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify iHeartRadio, Podcast.co, AudioBoomPlayer.fm, Podbean. If you've got a favorite podcasting site or app, we're probably on it. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links to you know, recent episodes and individual segments. So whether you've got 90 minutes, two hours, or 20 minutes, we've got something there for you. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the Tee a part of your golf content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.